You have an outline. If you would take that outline out, you could follow me very carefully. Well, it's a delight to be with you all. Been all weekend with you all since Thursday, and we've had a marvelous time together. But we're going to open the scriptures now, the Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Running the race of faith. Why don't you stand, and we only have a few verses to read. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. You may be seated. Running the race of faith. After list, listing in chapter 11, the great heroes of the faith, the writer turns to the greatest hero of faith and endurance, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts with the runners of the past. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, the cloud here is a metaphor for a host of people. He says we have this great, great host of people and they surround us. Well, these are the great heroes of the Old Testament. Did you know that much of the Old Testament is biographical? There are 66 chapters just on the life of David. The life of Abraham, the life of Jacob, and Joseph, we're teaching that in our church right now, Moses, Daniel, Jeremiah. The Bible is full of biography. God teaches us through these witnesses of faith and endurance. And that's why reading biographies are so important. Uh, my life has been changed by biography. So, um, I was saved through a Bible camp, and during my teen years, I spent every summer at Bible camp. It was all summer, two full months. And we had a wonderful leader, a director of the camp, but he'd make us every summer read a biography. Well, I'm 14, 15 years of age, and I read the biography of Hudson Taylor. Can you be the same after that? No, you cannot be. You know, young people are idealistic. They got all this energy. They're bouncing off of walls like BBs in a boxcar. They just go and go. They need a role model. And so many of them have bad role models. Look at the great missionaries like Hudson Taylor. And then we had to read George Mueller's life. Well, that set the tone for my life. This was the image. This was the role model that I saw leading me. And dads and moms, there are many, many good books for children. There's the Hero Tales by Dave and Netta Jackson, a Trailblazer series, tremendous series, nice and short, that children can understand. Set before them God's role models. Here he says, the great, great cloud of witnesses. So what he's saying is, you are not alone. You're not the first to have suffered or run the race. Eric Zauer says, always, at all times, there have been heroes of the faith. Many have gone before you. They have suffered. 
They have had to exercise faith, but they endured and they pressed forward. So next he moves to the runners of the present. That's runners of the past. Look at their example, follow their example. But remember, the greatest model is the Lord Jesus Christ. Runners of the present. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So now he has this metaphor of the race, the marathon race, the cross country race. It's a, it's a favorite metaphor of the Bible writers that we are in a race. Now, this race is set before us. Do not miss this. Notice that last phrase, the race that is set before us. In other words, it's a God-appointed race. It's a duty and privilege to run this race. You are a runner in a race. Or sometimes the Bible writers use pilgrimage. You know, we're aliens and pilgrims. But here he uses race. Every one of us are in a race. Now, here's the key point. God set the race before us. And the point is, when you're in a race, you have to finish the race. Run the race. You're a runner. You say, but I'm 65 years of age. I'm retired. You're a runner in a race. You say, but I'm 85 years of age. You're a runner in a race. You say, I'm 90. You're a runner in a race. You say, I'm in a wheelchair. You're a runner in a race. You say, I'm in a hospital bed. I can't do much. You're a runner in a race. Because God set the race before you. It started the day you were born again, and it stops the day you stop breathing. Until then, you are in a race. And that's what he wants to communicate to us, endurance in the race. And you do it by faith, trusting in God. We had a man in our church, died at 103. And at 99, he said to the elders one time, he said, now listen, I've been teaching the seniors for years. You need a younger man, someone about 90. <laughs> he said that. At 103, he was still reading Bible commentaries. Now, when you get it together with 103-year-old people, you know, they only talk about one thing, right? What do they talk about? Their pills. They all talk about their pills and their aches and their pains, and they want you to know it all. Completely boring. But this Mr. Risto, in his high 90s, when he'd get together with me, and by the way, in his 90s, he was always at the front door greeting people. When we get together, he didn't talk about his medications once in a while. He wanted to talk about Bible commentaries. I'm teaching Thessalonians. What's a good commentary in Thessalonians? He's a runner in the race, set before him by God. Now, since we are runners, we are all runners in this race. You don't really have an option. How do you run the race? Well, that's what this passage will tell us. First thing he says is run unencumbered. It's right in your outline there. It's not on my face. Run unencumbered. And he says, lay aside every weight. To be victorious in this race, to finish this life race that God has placed before you, you have to strip yourself of all weights. Now, in a literal race, in a marathon race, you will strip down to the least amount of weight on you. One pound, two pounds of extra weight will cause you to lose the race and not be able to run as you should. Now, these are really nice. These are, my wife got these for me. She said, I really need these shoes. I think they're pretty nice. But you don't run a race with these shoes. And this is a nice belt. This is like an alligator belt. I didn't kill him. 
but you don't put a belt on when you run a race. And isn't this a nice jacket? A man gave it to me one day. He probably thought I was poverty stricken. He literally gave me this jacket. If you wait around enough, you get people's old clothes. That's really true. I'm not joking. <laughs> but you don't run a race in a nice jacket like this. You strip all this down to the lightest possible sneakers and shorts. In the ancient Greek world, some of them ran naked. So the, I wouldn't advise that right now. Now, he's giving you very important advice. Because if you're going to run, you've got to strip down from anything that's impeding the race. Now, young people are always asking the do's and the don'ts. Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I drink alcohol? Or how much can I drink? Can I go to R-rated movies? Or can I go to Las Vegas if I only spend $25? Uh, what about the clothes I wear, the friends I have, the music I have, the entertainment I have, the sports I have, certain habits I have? They always have these questions of the do's and the don'ts. You may have these questions also. Here's a great way to answer this question. Get ready, parents. Is it a weight? That's what I'm going to ask you. Is it a weight in your Christian life? Is it bogging you down? Is it slowing you down? Is it impeding the race in any way? It may be something perfectly legitimate. That's the point of a weight, the difference from the sin. It could be a perfectly legitimate thing, but it could be a problem to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. You've got a lot of liberty in the Christian life. In fact, you have so much liberty in the Christian life, we usually make up rules so we feel better about ourselves. I'm more spiritual. Did you notice I wore, did you notice I wore a tie today? Did you know? That's how spiritual I am. And by the way, don't run with a tie on. Bad, bad, bad. Okay, so he's saying, he's giving us great advice. Strip it off. Anything in your Christian life, too much television uh, watching, uh, too much time spent um, with sports. It's not wrong with sports, but you can spend too much time with it. It can become your God. Anything that hinders your walk with Christ, your race with Christ, whatever it is, it may be so legitimate, but it's bad to you. Now, I can't tell you what that is. Only you can describe what is it that's causing you not to read the scriptures, fellowship with God's people, not serve the Lord the way you should. What is it? Identify it, strip it off, get rid of it, because it's hurting your Christian life. All right, second now, lay aside every sin which clings so closely. Now we're dealing with sin, not legitimate things, liberties in Christ that you have, like I said, a lot of liberties. We don't have a book of Leviticus in the New Testament. But now we're talking about sin. And he says something very interesting here. Lay aside every sin, get this, which clings so closely. Now, have you ever been on an airline uh, like Singapore Airlines. Have you ever been in one of those airlines? The, the women wear these long, long skirts and they, they can only walk like this. That's what he's saying. Sin, it just clings. It clings. It wraps itself around you. We had a man in Denver and uh, he had this uh, 
party uh, snake that he would take around to parties. It was very famous. It was in the newspaper. 20-foot-long pythons, about that thick, 250 pounds. And he would take it to a party, and everyone would stand there and hold their arms, and he'd lay the snake uh, on everyone's arms, if you're that dumb. But anyway, he's holding this snake, and they take pictures, and they put this snake around their neck, and they put it around their waist. And it was very famous. Didn't come to my party, I guarantee you that. But anyway, one day in a party, he put this snake around his neck. Just like that, he killed him. Instantly killed him. Snapped his neck. It's a snake. Don't put a snake around your neck. He might kill you. That's what sin's like. It wraps itself around you. You think, I got control. Don't worry, mama. I got control. And all of a sudden, you don't have control. Sin has you. That's what sin is like. You think, no one knows about this sin. It's between God and me. And all of a sudden, it totally encompasses you. That's what he says. It encompasses you. It wraps itself around, encloses you from every side. You can't run with sin. Sin ruins your Christian life. It ruins the race. Whatever that sin is. Jesus called it the um, amputation uh, uh, principle. So if your hand is offending you, if your eye is offending you, cut it out, which means deal with sin that way. Amputate it. Anything that is hurting the race in the Christian life, amputate it. Don't play with it. If you have a problem with over drinking, don't go to the tavern. Don't go to a place where they drink a lot. If you have a problem with pornography, get rid of those instruments that you're using to get pornography. Don't play with it. Sin can never be played with. The Bible says the world, the flesh, the devil is against us. We have hostile forces in this world. Lay aside any sin that clings to you and ruins your Christian life, enslaves you. Next, be in your outline, run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, so legitimate things, not sinful things, can impede your race for Christ. Sin will definitely ruin your Christian walk with Christ. Definitely, no question about it. It will do great damage to you, to your marriage and to your children. But now he, he comes to the really the centerpiece of this, and that's the word endurance. Because throughout the whole book of Hebrews, he's dealing with Christians who aren't even going to church anymore. Some are going back to Judaism. They're not enduring. They're not running that race. You see, when you're in a race, you've got to run the race. If you don't win, you've got to run the race. That's your job. If you come in last, you run the race. And that's the point. Let's run with endurance this race that God set before us. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. The course has been laid out. Go the whole distance. It means make the effort. One of the most encouraging things in my life as a Christian is to see the people who have gone before me and run the race. And they've run into their 70s, into their 80s, their 90s. The man who started our church, Mr. Herb Banks, very amazing man. When he was in his mid-80s, he was right at the front line of the Christian battle. 
And I remember one time we went to visit him. He was dying of cancer and he was in bed and he's sitting in bed and he's got his legs up. He's all skin and bones. The cancer's eating him up. And we go visit him every week, the elders, and just pray with him and talk with him, have some fun with him. So he's, he comes in, we come in one time and he's in bed and his legs are all up like this and he's sitting there reading. I said, Herb, what are you reading? He said, I'm reading a book on missions. He's weeks from death. He's reading a book on Christian missions. Shouldn't he be reading a book on funerals or caskets or how to have a cheap, save some money at a funeral? And then, to make matters worse, he's famous for his little three by five cards. Keeps a job description. And he said to some of us, he said, now, Mr. Al Motter has not been in church in a couple of weeks. I know that. Could one of you call him? Yes, sir. We'll call him. We'll write that down. Here he is, weeks before death, and he's running the race. He's not, and I'll stop the race. That encourages me. I see people like George Verwer. I see people like John MacArthur in his mid, now even upper 80s, pressing forward, pressing forward. Now, many of you don't know E. Stanley Jones, but he was a missionary, a, a Methodist missionary to uh, India for over 50 years. So at the, uh, towards the end of his life, he was back in the uh, United States, he's writing a biography on his, his interesting life. And he writes this before he died. There are scars on my faith, but underneath those scars, there's no doubts Christ has me with the consent of all my being and the cooperation of my life. I sing a lovely song, not the temporary em, em, exuberance of youth that often fades when middle or old age sets in with their disillusionment and cynicism. Now listen to this. No, I'm 83 years old. I am more excited today about being a Christian than when I was 18 when I first put my foot upon the way of the race. I'm 83 years old, and I'm more excited today about being a Christian when I was 18. Now, normally it's the reverse. People get started, they love the Christian life, everything's great. 10, 20 years later, you don't even hear from them anymore. What encourages me is to see men and women, 50, 60, 70, 80, pressing hard for the Lord, going forward in the race stripping themselves of those hindrances run with endurance that's the command of the lord run with endurance don't stop don't come up with all these clever excuses we have a lot of clever excuses press forward make the last part of the race the best part of the race in fact there's a very interesting story told about uh, Usain Bolt he was an Olympic sprinter won three gold medals but he had a problem in his early days he'd take off so fast he'd be disqualified again and again take off so fast to be disqualified finally he got control of that and someone said to him after he won three gold medals what is it that helped you to deal with that problem he said my coach said to me don't worry about the start the strongest part of the race is at the end. So don't worry about getting a fast start. Run hard at the end. So I can see some of you are quite old here. Press forward. Don't come up with all your lame excuses. God doesn't listen to excuses. Press forward. You're 50, you're 60, you're 70. Press forward. Run the race. Get rid of those things that are bogging you down in the race. Take them out of your house. So one of our elders, a very fine elder, he and his wife were constantly serving, serving, serving. But he said to me one day, he said, 
I was caught by the TV. I, I was a TV fanatic. I watched hours a day and I realized this is wrong. Nothing wrong with TV. Doesn't have a sin button on it or anything. But it was bogging the race down. I was distracted. So my wife and I agreed, let's take it out of the house. I can't conquer this. They took the TV out of the house. Now you don't have to, I'm not telling you to take the TV out. Maybe perfectly legitimate for you. I have a TV. I think I got two TVs in the house. Anyway, he said to me later, we've never missed it. We've never missed it. Once I got over the initial shock, we read more, we talked more, we did more. It's, it wasn't sin, it was a weight. It was a weight. And he wasn't, wasn't enduring. All right, now run with aim. Now this is all advice, how to live the Christian life. Run with aim. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Some of your Bibles may say, fix your eyes on Jesus. I'll tell you how to do that in a moment. But what it says here is fix your eyes on Jesus. In other words, you are to endure, but the way to endure is to look ahead. So one, I have four daughters, all lovely daughters, take after their mother. My youngest is a thin little skinny thing. I don't know where her muscles come from because they do not come from me. We don't have muscles in the Strauch family. The James family has muscles. We don't have muscles. So anyway, she is really fast as a runner. She wins every race. She still races today in her 40s. So one time we went to see one of her races. It was a short race and I'm standing on the sideline. Gun goes off. She's running way out ahead already. And I watch her. She, she looks back. She looks back. Guess what happened when she looked back? The girls went right by her. So at the end of the race, she said, Dad, what, what happened? I lost. I said, honey, you turned around. And the moment you turned around to see where the other girls are, you slowed down. They went right by you. You keep your eye on that goal and you run for the goal. You don't run looking backwards. Same thing true in the Christian life. You don't run the Christian life looking through the rearview mirror of your car. You'll get killed. Don't go out on I-80 and do that. Now, he says, in running this race, you've got to look at what Jesus did. Look at him. We'll look at a little bit more, more practical things because it's going to be very theoretical. Fix your eyes on Jesus. But the point here is that Jesus is the supreme example of endurance. He already ran the race. And he faced suffering you will never face. He faced the cross. But he did it by faith and he pressed forward. Eric Zauer writes this. If you wish to be disappointed, look upon others. Don't go looking around other people. They will disappoint you. If you wish to be downhearted, look at yourself. But if you wish to be encouraged and to experience victory, look upon Jesus. Eric Zauer goes on to say, all depends on how you look at life. He who would live aright must see aright. In the arena of faith, look to Jesus. Now, sociologists tell us today, and you don't need a sociologist to tell you this, this is the age of distractions. Never in human history has there been so many distractions. TV, movies, internet, magazines, books, sports, gaming, endless entertainment, endless. And people live a life of distraction, not clear focus, not a clear direction. 
He says, look to Jesus. Because he's the founder of the faith principle. He's the originator. He's the pioneer. He's the forerunner of the principle of faith. The son always trusted the father. Even before the world, he originated the principle of trusting God. And upon the cross and in facing the mockery and, and the, the, the suffering, he trusts in God. Trusts in his father. He's also the perfecter of the faith principle. In other words, his entire earthly life was the very embodiment of trust in God. His faith is the most perfect example of faith. Never has anyone exercised faith as did Jesus at Golgotha. Faith was brought to absolute perfection in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him. Now, he gets a little more specific here, and we're going to learn I think one of the greatest principles of running the race for Christ. So if you've been asleep, that's okay, I don't mind. But I want you to wake up right now. I'm going to tell you one of the most important principles of the race. Okay? Now he says four quick things. First of all, we're looking at Jesus now. He's our model. He's run the race. He's gone before us. He endured the cross. Never has anyone here endured the cross, the most humiliating, lowest form of capital punishment, torture, and humiliation. He endured the cross by faith and by looking through the darkness to what God had ahead, the joy. Second, despised the shame. In other words, he thought nothing of it. One commentator writes, they despised and scorned him. But he turned it all around and despised the scorn and shame. He treated it as of no value. Third thing, the one who endured the cross, the lowest, lowest form of capital punishment and suffering, he endured that. But then he's seated at the right hand of God, the, the, the highest place in the universe over all angels and all demonic hosts. At his name, every knee will bow. Highest position in the universe. From the lowest to the highest. All right? Okay, now the point. Big point. Four. Are you listening? Anyone sleeping? Raise your hand. Okay. Here it is. For the joy that was set before him. There's the key. This is going to be the key for you enduring suffering. For the joy set before him. This joy is future joy. Je Jesus held before his eyes as a goal. He looked steadfastly to the coming joy, the anticipation that the Father would be totally glorified by his work on the cross. His own personal victory over Satan's sin and the defeat of sin. He looked forward to countless sons and daughters that would be one for eternity and would be like him with a, a resurrected imperishable body. He looked forward to the unification, the homecoming, the reconciliation of all things in Christ. Someone wrote, as he entered the somber valley of death, he gazed, penetrated the darkness around him and saw already the light of the coming triumph. In other words, he's upon the cross. He's facing the worst suffering possible. Sin is going to be laid on him. But he looks through it all to the glory that comes before him. 
Now, turn your Bibles. Please turn your Bibles. Now, if I see you not turn your Bible, I'm going to come right out there and shake you upside down. Second Corinthians chapter four. Turn there right now. Second Corinthians four. Six. I'm telling you one of the great principles of life. Don't miss this. Don't be thinking about where you're going to have lunch. Think about this. Okay. Second Corinthians four, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Here's a man who had every right to lose heart. He had more problems than all of us in this auditorium together. Any of you shipwrecked at sea? Any of you have been stoned nearly to death? Anyone here been beaten with 40 stripes? Anyone, anyone been locked up for four years? No, okay. We do not lose heart. Now, this is my verse for aging. Though our outward nature is wasting away, that's your body. If you're over 55, you got a little clue what this is. Your body is falling apart. So my dad was 90, I don't know, 94, 95. And I'm at his house in New Jersey where he lived. And I'm helping him with his medications. And he's got all these medications and vitamins on his dresser. And I said, Dad, what is all that? He says, I don't know. Then he told me this story. His friend, who also was a widower, my mom was gone, he got so confused about all the medications that he poured them all in a bowl and took a handful every day. <laughs> my dad said, should I do that? I said, no, dad, it's not M&Ms. I'll help you. And it is confusing. It's very confusing for an older person, all their medications. The outward nature is wasting away. You have knee replacements, hip replacements, and brain replacements, and eyeglasses, and hair pieces, and hearing aids. I mean, the body is decaying. But our inner nature is being renewed day by day. That's my verse for aging. My, I, I can try to stop it, and I can hold it back a little bit. But I'm going to die, and my body is going to break down. When I get to heaven, I'm broken parts, new parts, all kinds of parts, all kinds of problems. But that body goes in the grave forever. But the inner self, at whatever age you are, as a Christian, the new man in Christ, is being invigorated every day. That's a good verse for aging. If you're over 55, memorize that verse. Next time I see you, if you don't know that verse, I'm not coming back. All right, now, here's the point. Here's the point for this slight, watch each word, slight, momentary, catch that word, momentary, affliction, three words, slight, momentary affliction, is preparing for us, here's the words, an eternal Weight of glory. Look at a scale. Look up here. Wish I had a scale. Over here, light, momentary, affliction. Over here, eternal, weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. As we look, notice his eyesight, look, none of the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. That's Jesus for the joy set before him. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. Now, that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's what Paul is saying. In this world, you will have slight momentary afflictions. It's coming. Jesus said, John 16, or 31, in this world, you will have trouble. 
Your body's going to break down. Someday a doctor's going to tell you you don't have much long to live. You may lose your job. You may lose all your money. You may go through suffering you never expected to go through in your life. Here's how to see it. Here's how to view it. Divine perspective. Divine perspective. Jesus suffered unlike anything you will ever suffer. And he looked through it all to the joy set before him. The victory of his death and resurrection. Bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Now, you're going to face suffering. You're to endure. You're to endure. How do you endure? Look through it. What's in front of you is transient. What is unseen is eternal. Look to the eternal. You are going to heaven. You are going to get a new, imperishable, glorified body. You're going to go to a new earth and a new heaven with Jesus forever. Now, is there anything better than that? It's not the stock market. You look at the stock market, you up and down, up and down. I don't even look at that stuff. It's constantly changing. This is divine perspective. This is how you're to see things. Slight, momentary affliction. At the, at the moment, it doesn't feel that way. It's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look at the things that are unseen, but real, as real as the chair you're sitting in. Now, Jesus, the supreme example. He's the example of looking looking through, looking through the problems, looking through the suffering, enduring by faith, trusting God, he sees what's ahead and he endured the cross for the joy set before him. It's no joy to have someone look in your face and say you got cancer. I've sat with dear friends in um, the Sloan's Kettering Hospital in New York with one of my dearest friends is sitting there and the doctor says, I'm afraid you've got pancreatic cancer. And my friend goes, how long do I have? He says, six weeks. And my friend goes, that's pretty, pretty much a shock in the head. But to look through the joy, the joy set before you, the best is yet to come. The victory's coming. This world doesn't provide much of that for you. All right, now Jesus is the supreme example of endurance. Consider him who endured such, uh, from such sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now that word consider uh, doesn't mean a slight glance, it means a carefully calculate. In other words, meditate on this. Meditate on Jesus Christ, who from wicked sinners were so hostile to him, so hateful of him, they couldn't kill him fast enough. They didn't even want to kill him, they had to torture him. Now, consider Jesus, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That was the problem with this church that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. They're weary, they're faint-hearted, some are going back to Judaism, some are not even showing up to church. They're not going forward, they're not running the race. And he says, you better consider Jesus. Because when you consider him, you won't grow fear, weary or faint-hearted because look at how he endured. Okay, let's get practical. What does it mean to look to Jesus or fix your eyes on Jesus? It could be very theoretical. So let me give you six very practical things, and with that, I will end on time. Lord willing. What happened to my water? Someone stole my water. Find out who that is. All right, here we go. I'll make it. How do we consider Jesus? Number one, the Lord's Supper. What do you do in the Lord's Supper? You remember Christ in his death. 
right? Lord's Supper is very important. That's how we have a physical means of each time bringing us back to his death and his resurrection. We only do the Lord's Supper until he comes, temporary meal. But the whole purpose of it is to remember him. It's a forget-me-not meal. Because if you're like me, you'll go out that back door and you'll be thinking of one thing. I know what you're thinking about. Where am I going to eat? Got to beat the Presbyterians because they get out real early and they go to the restaurants and fill up the restaurants. So let's get going. Don't let the preacher go over time. We'll have to stand in line an hour. All right. Lord's Supper is a forget-me-not meal. Number two, the scriptures. Every time you open the scriptures, you're looking, you're, you're looking at Jesus because the scriptures speak of him. It's concerning him. If you want to grow in Jesus, if you want to endure, you must read his book. And if you don't read your bo his book, you're insulting him. Because one of the greatest gifts God has given you is his book. He's the author. Best-selling book in the world. Billions of copies. I think it's over 7 billion copies. No other book approaches the sales of the Bible. That's his book, and he wants you to read it so you can get to know about him. So if you want to fix your eyes on Jesus, read his book. Read his biography. Read what he wants you to do, who he wants you to be. That's what we've been doing all morning. It's his book. Third, song, music. Can you imagine if all of us this morning gathered together to sing to Joe Biden? How about singing to Congress? I will sing songs to the Senate. Vice President? We don't come here and sing songs to the President of the United States. But how is it all over the world, and you may not know this, there are tens of thousands of songs about Jesus Christ. Tens of thousands. There's 5,000 just about his birth. Why do we sing to him? Will angels sing? God sings. Singing is a very special way of worship. It's a, it's a very special way to fix your eyes on Jesus. And I know what happens in life. You get so busy. There's so many problems that you get discouraged and you just don't want to pray. And, and uh, the Bible, it's just, you know. But if you will sing, if you will play good music, it'll turn your emotions right around. It has a, a, a great effect on the brain and the emotional affection aspect of your life, unlike anything else. And it's the way you fix your eyes on Jesus and get your eyes off the world and off yourself and all your petty problems. Four, prayer. What is prayer? Simply communication. You know, if you love someone, you want to be with them, right? Rule number one, you love someone, you want to be with them. Girls, if you've got a guy who says he loves you, doesn't want to marry you or see with you, or he's busy all the time, get rid of that guy. Because that's not love. Love wants to be with the other person. Wants to be near the beloved. Well, prayer is simply talking to God. Communicating with God through Jesus Christ. It's the way we focus on Jesus. We can talk. The neat thing about our Lord God is that you can talk to him about anything. Nothing's too small. Nothing's too small. You'll find great prayer warriors 
And I'm not thinking of George Mueller now or Hudson. I'm thinking of people in our congregation that no one knows, but I know they're great prayer warriors. They like to talk to the Lord. And they talk to him about the most mundane things. Don't worry about it. Five, in conversation. So let's see, how am I time looking? I don't want to get too far afield here. But this is something that I've been thinking about the last five or ten years. Spiritual conversation. So I get invited to these anniversary parties and birthday parties. It's really a problem, to tell you the truth. You get too many parties, and if you don't go to their party, they say, why can't you go to my party? And you've got to come up with some kind of excuse, you know. You go to these Christian parties, and it's an anniversary party or a birthday party or some kind of party. And there's prayer for the food. And the entire time, there's games they're playing. There's jokes they're telling. Nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing about the Lord. Now, if you say to them, we should be talking about, the, oh, come on, you can't do that, everything. So here's what, I, here's what I decided to do. A good way not to get invited to parties. Just take them over. So I'll give you an example. This is a true story. I'm at a party, nice fellow. They have all this fantastic food and games and people joking and talking. Nice, wonderful fellowship, but nothing goes to the Lord. So I just say, hey, 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 come on. Let's get in a big circle. Big circle, come on. Of course, you're going to have to listen to me because I'm a little older than most of them. Come on, come on, get in a big circle. This is Tim Odo, my dear friend. I'm going to go around this circle. What has he done for you in the Lord? Tell me, because he's a great greeter uh, at our church. Come on, let's talk about it. Or share with him a verse, share with him a prayer, share with him a blessing, okay? So we go around the whole circle. It's very, it's really actually a lot of fun. People tell jokes because he's a funny dude. So anyway, at the end of the party, I can guarantee you more than 50% will come up to me. Oh, I'm so glad you did that. I'm so glad you did that. All we did here is eat and drink and we didn't do anything. So that's what I do now. Don't invite me to your party because I will take over. <laughs> Spiritual conversation. So you go out to lunch. Jay, Sue and I, we went out, we went out to dinner, not to lunch. So you talk, you know what the most popular conversation is? The weather. That's the first one. <laughs> I'm a weather bug, so I'm, I'm guilty. Sports, I don't care about sports, so I'm done with that one. But sports, weather, right, the basic conversation, or about the children, the grandchildren. Nothing wrong with that. Let's make that clear. But we're Christians. Ultimately, we have to turn it around that we're special people, and we talk about our Lord. And we help one another fix our eyes on Jesus through spiritual conversation. It's very important. A lot happens in spiritual conversation. Just straight one-on-one -on -one conversation over lunch, maybe over dinner, maybe at a home. And you talk about the Lord and you share the Lord and you tell about yourself and you ask other good spiritual questions that you don't know how like they got saved or what's happening at work. A lot happens in spiritual conversation fixing your eyes on Jesus. All right, last one, last one. Six, hearing the word preached. So right now, you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. Right now, as I've been opening the book of Hebrews to you, 12th chapter, you the whole time have been fixing your eyes on Jesus. Now, you thought you were looking at me, but you weren't. You were looking at Jesus because we gave you his words, his book. Paul said this, I have fought the good fight. Uh-oh, get ready. 
I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That summarizes our passage. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I endured. Now I'm, I'm quite uh, ready to go to heaven. Don't hold me back. I want to be with the Lord. Moses, we're told in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured because he was able to see by the eyes of faith him who's invisible, the Lord God. So keep your eyes on the joy set before you and the full salvation package that's yours in Christ. Read his book. Talk to him a lot. Take the supper. Communicate with one another. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this phenomenal passage of Scripture, so relevant to us today. So many temptations, so many trials, so many things go wrong. We just pray that even now we'll just fix our gaze, look through the problems to the joy set before, before us and the great things that you have planned for your people and to make us sanctified, a pure bride without spot or wrinkle and to enjoy fellowship with our God for eternity. Amen.